0: Let me ask you, if you were going to give a definition to fear, how would you define it? I think sometimes so Abigail Brooks is going to like look it up on her phone real quick because she's amazing. She always checks the dictionary. But you know, a lot of times we use words or we have words that we're like, oh, yeah, yeah I know what that means. But, but in many ways, we, we haven't articulated it or we haven't thought it through very fully. So, Abigail, you don't have to look it up because I already did. Here's a definition of fear. A strong emotion caused by great worry about something dangerous, painful, or unknown that is happening or might happen. A strong emotion caused by great worry about something dangerous, painful, or unknown that is happening or that may happen. Some synonyms for fear would be dread, alarm, fright. You know, this painful emotion experience in the presence of danger. Fear is really, it says the most general word and suggests great worry and usually loss of courage. And it comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. When I was a kid, um, I, was, I was scared of the dark. Uh, I had my nightlight in my room to make sure I could see um, to, to get through, but, but also that way I, I knew that there was nothing else in the room with me. Um, we had a, an older house, not super old, but it was built in the 70s, and, and the stairs going down to the basement were very creaky. And so I did not like going down at night. I was afraid to walk down those stairs with the creak noises, and then you open the door and it's dark. And we had um, baseboard heating, and so they would click and make noises. And I was just I was freaked out. I did not like going down there. And then in high school, you think, okay, you know, you outgrow that. So thankfully in high school, I, I didn't have a nightlight. If you still do, no shame. It's just, you know, every one of us is different. But um, in high school, I had a sticker on the back of my car. It was pretty popular then, and it said, No Fear. There was a, a whole branding called No Fear, and it was this like, yeah. You know, I thought I was a tough guy. But um, the irony of it was, even though I had this big sticker on the back of my car, fear was right there with me. I had fears of failure. I had fears of fitting in at school. I had fears of being accepted. And as 21 Pilots says, you like that? I got it, guys. They have a song called Stressed Out. It says, I was told when I get older, all my fears would shrink. But now I'm insecure and I care what people think. Isn't it true? You think, okay, as I get older, like, okay, I overcome my fear of, of the dark. I can walk down the basement at night all by myself. But, boy, there's still a lot of things that I'm fearful of. Fears of what people think. Fears of failure. I mean, fear is very real for all of us. And, and it can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. For some, there's been a trauma that you've experienced in life. And it's understandable that that brings about fears. For some, there can be a biological component that can can lead to anxiety and fears. And we're not trying to diminish any of those. And for some, fears can become so large that they really become debilitating for us. But read through the Bible. You see time and time again how often people were afraid. And they were afraid. They feared it doesn't take long. In chapter 3 of Genesis, so right at the beginning, Adam and Eve are experiencing perfect communion with God. Then after they've they've dishonored God, they've disobeyed God, they sinned against God and ate of the fruit. It says they were naked and afraid. Fear has entered in. And isn't that the theme of the Christian life in so many ways? A battle for faith and hope and a battle against our fears. Now, Fears ourselves, the fears express emotions. In many ways, those emotions that the fear is producing are asking deep questions. See, it's not just just a feeling. It's fear is asking some significant God questions. God, are you really good? God, are you really going to be there for me? God can you handle this situation god i don't see how i can get through this and i wonder if you're going to be faithful to me god if you're all powerful and all loving then why are you letting this happen god are you going to protect me and bring me through see that's that's the kind of questions that our fears deep down are really asking I want you to consider now, what are one or two of your greatest fears? If if you're taking notes, can I encourage you to write down one or two of your greatest fears right now? If you're not taking notes, that's okay. Just think through, what are are some of your greatest fears? Maybe it's fear of failure. Maybe it's fear of how are you going to have enough money to pay the bills this month? Maybe it's fears for your future. How are things going to turn out? Where are we going to be in 10 years, 20 years? Maybe it's fears for your kids. Man, until I had children, I had no idea the significant fears that would rise up when I'm like, fears of parenting them, protecting them, their future, what will happen. Maybe it's fears of losing a loved one. Maybe we have fears of failing to care well for the Cato family because we're not sure how to enter into their world when they've experienced such a, a devastating loss. Maybe we have fears of caring well for other friends and family. Maybe you have fears of how you're going to prepare a sermon when you're extremely tired and your car has to go into the shop and your hot water tank breaks and you have to repair that and you're not sure how it's going to come together. I'm just hypothetically speaking. That might have been one of my fears this week. (laughs) Praise God the car was okay. The hot water tank needed to be replaced, but we didn't get flooded. Maybe you have fears for this church, the future of this church. You know, we've, we've had some people come and go. We're not as large as we were at one time. Do you realize how God knows and understands that we struggle with fears and how he lovingly meets us with where we're at? So last week, Robin came and preached from Isaiah 40 about finding comfort in an uncomfortable world. And so this morning, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 43. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 43. What we're going to see here in Isaiah 43, our fears, this is so incredible, because when uh, when Holly came down and said, I feel like God is putting this word remember on my heart. Well, that's exactly what I believe God wanted us to hear from his word today. Our fears are opportunities to remember who God is, To remember his precious truths and to turn to him. Our fears, those questions, those emotions that are produced within us are really opportunities to remember who God is. All the truths that are connected to him through Christ Jesus. And an opportunity to turn and run to him. And it's here. And only here that we're going to get our answers to the deep questions of our souls and where we're going to find peace. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. It should be projected behind me. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along there. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. And I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin to unpack this. Heavenly Father, we we come before you and we thank you, God, so much that, that you have answers for our fears. You have answers for the questions of our souls. And ultimately, God, it's you. Father, I am so thankful um, that it's the weak and needy that you meet in such powerful ways. And so, God, we pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, bring your truth, open our eyes to see all you are, all you've done. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before we jump into the passage, I wanted to give a little brief context. It's really important that we understand because this this chapter is is one of many chapters in the book of Isaiah. So the book of Isaiah was written by Isaiah. And in the ESV Study Bible, it says that the central theme of this book is really God himself, that God does all things for his own sake and that everything is defined in its relationship to God. Okay, so God is the, the focal point. And all things are centered around him. And it's it's really an amazing story of God's surprising plan of grace and glory for our rebellious people. You see, Isaiah is reminding God's people of their special relationship they had with God as their covenant community, right? Even in light of their lack of faithfulness. See, here. God has been so faithful. He has delivered them time and time again, and yet they fail to trust God. They fail to obey God, and as a result, they find themselves in fear. They would look around, and they would see other nations with other earthly kings, and they would think, okay, if we just had a king, then things would be okay. The problem is that they already had a king, They had God himself as king, but yet they wanted one with some flesh and bones. And so God says, all right, you think that this is going to calm your fears? This is going to bring you the peace that you hope and you desperately long for? I'll give you the earthly king that you want. Fast forward a few years. Having an earthly king isn't working out as well as they thought it would. The kingdom is now divided into two kingdoms. There is a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. In the book of Isaiah, we're actually now, where it is divided, King Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is in disarray. They've actually already been attacked and overcome by Assyria. And Assyria is growing significantly in strength. The ESV Study Bible again says, By Isaiah's time, the descendants of Abraham and many members of the dynasty of David, so basically God's people, they no longer trusted the promises of God. But they were aligning themselves instead with promises and fears of this false world. So we have King Ahaz. He is the, the king of the southern kingdom. He's watched the northern kingdom fall. And, and so like any wise, good, absolutely freaked out king, he goes to Assyria and says, Okay, so you guys are the powerful ones and you're taking over everybody. Hey, let's be friends. Let's, let's buddy up a little bit. And he says to Assyria, come on in. You know, better to invite you than to let you just take over us. And so he, they invite Assyria in and, and they assimilate. They bring in all the culture and they even bring in all the idol worship, the false gods. You see, they thought when things got tough and they're afraid, rather than turning to God and the promises of God, they looked to their earthly kings they looked to the powerful kings around them of other lands. You see, they really started to put their hope in themselves, their hope in idols. They thought, if we get the right things in place, all the fears will suddenly subside. Man, aren't you glad we're not like that? Aren't you glad that we don't put our hope in earthly kings and we don't look to the kings of other lands and we don't put our hope in other stuff to, to calm our fears? Oh, Right? I mean, think about how freaked out we are about this election. Maybe appropriately so. But sometimes, don't we think if we just get the right person as president, everything would be just fine here in the United States? If we, if we just align ourselves with the right groups of people, things will work out. We'll be protected. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about politics. But if we're honest, I think there's a temptation to make our government a functional savior for us. We can be so tempted to look around the world and see people that are successful, and, and they seem to have it together, and so we model our lives after them. And We can put our hope in money, success, career, family, friendships. If I have those things and they bring the stability that I want, then that will take care of my fears. Sometimes we seek to minimize the emotion of our fears, but we're just going to work hard and we're going to control the situation. And if I can be in control of the situation, then I'll, I'll feel much more confident. Oftentimes, it just creates more fear, doesn't it? Personally, when I face fears, I like to just bury my head in the sand. Let's, let's just forget about it. Let's try to distract myself from it. Hopefully, it'll go away. Let's veg on the, the phone a little bit, watch a little TV. Just stay busy so I don't have to think about it, and yet it's always right there behind me. See, these things fall short in bringing us the peace that our souls are craving. And it's only in remembering who God is, his presence with us, and the truth of God that it's going to quiet our fears. So, now that's the context of Isaiah. We're pretty familiar with chapters 40, 41, 42, right? You know, comfort my people, that's what we heard from um, From Robin, we we see that God is the only God. He's the only hope. He's a loving, gracious God. He sees, he hears. You know, last week was so good, so good. I just, I walked away and it's like, wow, God, you are so big and I am really so small. But I'm so glad you're big. God, you really are in control. And I'm not. God, you are really so strong and I am weak. God, only you are worthy of trust. Only you can be the shelter for our fears. Now, that's in chapters 40, 41, 42. At the end of chapter 42, we're not going to read that right now. But basically it says, Isaiah prophesies to the people. He says, you have been a stiff-necked, rebellious, deaf, and blind group of people. You have run after other gods. You have dishonored the living God, the one who made covenant with you. You have put your hope in all the wrong things. And as a result, you deserve God's judgment. You deserve wrath. That's what he's saying. He's saying you should be afraid. Israel, you should be afraid because you deserve wrath from the living God. And apart from Jesus Christ, that's exactly who we are. Blind, blind deaf, rejecting, dishonoring, running after other gods, putting our trust in all the wrong things rather than God. And truthfully, each one of us left on our own should be afraid. We should be fearful. We should feel insecure with God and fearful that he would deal with us as we deserve. But the faithful, covenant-keeping, gracious, merciful God brings a message of hope and comfort to Israel and to us. Have you ever heard somebody say, Give me one good reason why I should trust you? Just give me one good reason. God says, I'm going to give you a lot. I'm going to give you a lot of reasons why you can trust me. And here's the incredible part none of it is going to depend on you, it's all going to depend on me. And so that takes us now into Isaiah 43. Isaiah is going to tell us now numerous times to fear not, and then he's going to tell us exactly why. So that brings us to our first one fear not because he has created and redeemed you. Look at verse 1 it says, "But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you; I have called you by name; you are mine." There's so much that we can unpack here. When remember there's a contrast. It says, "But now." Isaiah has been saying, "Guys, you should be very afraid." Because there is some significant judgment coming upon you. But now, thus says God, God himself is going to speak. He says, but, in comparison. And then it says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Jacob and Israel are just another way to say God's people. Okay, so God's people. He who created you. This is beautiful here. It's actually the language that points back to creation. The power of God to create, the beauty of God's creation. You see, creation belongs to God, and he cares for his creation. He tends for it. And what was the culmination of his creation? Man, made in his very own image. And he says, the one who formed you, this this potter who takes clay and just purposely shapes it. And he applies pressure in the right places to make this form into the right form. John MacArthur in his study Bible said, God's sovereign grace and choice brought Israel into existence and sustains her. It wasn't because of her worthiness. Since she's God's creation, there should be comfort, knowing that no one or no thing can destroy her, not even her own wickedness. And that's much of what Isaiah reveals the reality and consequences of her wickedness. God created and formed you. He's very invested in you. He cares. He goes on to say, fear not. It's actually a command. He says, fear not. Why? Because I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. Redeemed, it just means to to free somebody from bondage by paying a ransom price that makes the freedom possible. The the verbs here are actually what's called a prophetic perfect. So beautiful. Isaiah is, is writing the words of God, and it's looking forward to the ultimate redemption through Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, Christ has accomplished everything. Remember, it's always been Jesus. Israel wasn't freed because they were good enough. They weren't redeemed because God just said, ah, I'm just going to overlook it. He said, there's one who is ultimately paying for you, who's paying the price. You're redeemed. And he says, and I've called you by name. It was before creation of the world. When it says, I have called you by name, it's in the past tense. Names are incredible. Um, When when we were trying to, to pick names for Carissa and Justin, that was a pretty intense process because, like, a name sticks with you for a long time. And it has a lot of weight to it. And so we would, man, we we stressed over it because you're trying to think of like, okay, what's the right name for them? And you're trying to think through, and make sure like, okay, don't pick a name that people can like do stuff with it and make fun of them for it. And what does it rhyme with? And so you're running through all those. And, you know, and we wanted meaning for their names. God's like, I, I already knew their names. <laughs> I knew them before the creation of the world. But how personal to be called by name. God's not like, hey, you. Yeah, you, 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 right there in the striped shirt. No, he says, Kevin, I call you by name. And again, it wasn't because they were so worthy. It was because of him. And then because of redeeming them and calling him by name, he says, you're mine. Israel, you're mine. You belong to me. So so he says, fear not. Why? Why don't be afraid of this judgment, the judgment that they deserve? He says, because I created you, and I have purchased you back to be my own, and you belong to me. That's why you don't need to be afraid. You're mine. And he says, when you pass through the waters, look at verse 2, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Now, these these are really a metaphor. When you think about the the waters, it's these deep waters, these like flood waters that are going to just take you down, or or the streams. These are these raging rivers. You've seen some of those, like um, you see cars and things swept away. It's like the the speed and the power of a raging river just seems like it'll wipe you out, or the flames. This is a metaphor for trials, hardships, difficulties. He's not saying that, like, okay, you're never ever going to experience some flood and nobody, nobody of Israel is going to die in a flood. He's not saying that. But he's saying, metaphorically, these things that are going to come after you, these hardships, trials, and even discipline, they will not overtake you. Rather, Even if it's your own sin and the broken, fallen world that brings upon these difficulties, he says, I am with you and I'm going to take you through them. Eternally, I will protect you. Now, while this is metaphorical, how incredible, though, is any times where you've seen them actually go through some really deep waters and actually get through it completely? Maybe like the Red Sea? In the future, anybody going to be in a fiery furnace and not be consumed by it? And it's not Rack, and Benny. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? But God says, look... When, not if, when you walk through these difficulties, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you. Can I ask you, when you look at the fears that you wrote down, did you list down rejection of God as one of your fears? Did you write down the judgment of God? If you're a believer in Christ, how powerful is this? It doesn't need to be one of our fears. Why? Because you have been redeemed. You have been called by name before the foundations of the world, and you belong to God as his precious possession. Can I ask you, if God graciously and mercifully protected you through Christ Jesus from what you should ultimately have as your greatest fear, his wrath and judgment through his holiness, then why in the world should we fear anything else? You see, we will pass through deep waters where waves feel like they are going to drag us under. And we will pass through raging rivers that feel like they will sweep us away. And we will walk through fiery trials that feel like they're going to fry us to a crisp. But God says, look, hey, you're my child. Don't fear. Those things can't harm you ultimately. Because I created you, I have redeemed you in Christ Jesus, and you belong to me. That's a pretty significant reason why we should not be afraid. Amen? Let's look to the second one. He goes on to say, Fear not because he is your God who saved you and loves you. Fear not because he is your God who saved you and loves you. Again, all the reasons to not be afraid are rooted in God. Not in Israel, not in their circumstances, but in the reality of who their God is. Look at verse 3. He says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Remember, anytime you see the word Lord in Scripture where it's in these all capital, like really big capital L, and then like the little capitals, O-R-D, that's a reference back to Yahweh, covenant-keeping God. And he says, look, I am Yahweh, your God. How personal is that? Your God. I am the covenant-keeping God who made promises to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Jacob. I'm going to keep all my promises to you. I've not broken one yet. I'm not planning on doing it now. And he also calls himself the Holy One of Israel. Holy is set apart it's, it's, it describes the character of God. So, so the one who belongs to Israel is actually this holy God. And he says, I give Egypt, Cush, and Seba. These are just three different groups of people locations. We're, we're familiar with the Egyptians. Cush and Seba, actually, we're not as familiar with. We're not sure exactly what groups of people they are. But what this is saying is God moves history on behalf of his people. God is moving history. Ray Ortland says, "Of this section of, of verses, God is saying that He orchestrates history to benefit His blind, deaf servant, because we are precious in His eyes and honored, and He loves us. It's not all about us. His is a grace so great that it shuts our mouths in wonder. I mean, how inc- mind-blowing! God has has handed over a group of people, the Egyptians, for the sake of His people." God is orchestrating history right now on your behalf because you belong to him. John Piper has said before, God is up to over 10,000 things all at once, and we might, we might be aware of two or three of them. I, so most of you guys know that um, I had dreams of becoming a doctor. As a kid, I always loved science, always, um, actually, I was fascinated with the eyes, and so I wanted to be in ophthalmologist, not the optometrist, the ophthalmologist. That's the doctor of it. And so I did all kinds of studies. I went to college for pre-med. I did internships. I took my MCATs. I mean, I devoted a lot of time and a lot of money towards becoming a doctor. And I didn't get accepted anywhere for med school. And my teachers were kind of like, this is weird. I really thought you would have gotten accepted. You know, my MCAT scores were average, but I thought, you know, And I just was like, God, what are you doing? I mean, this was a massive curveball. All my life, I had been pursuing this one dream. I thought that's what God had for me. It wasn't like, I I really felt like I was giving it to God. And I'm like, God, what in the world's going on? Well, next thing we know, about a year later, you know, we're praying about it. Cassie and I are praying about it. And we feel like God moves us towards ministry. And so I went to seminary. and, And we look back and we're like, in so many ways, it was just like, wow, God had prepared me for more school. God had prepared me for long hours. You're always on call. You make about the same amount of money. No. Um, But God had prepared. Then, ten years later, after I had finished all that stuff with, with biology and microbiology and working at the biotech companies, ten years later... Maybe even more. We move up to Frederick, Maryland. I've been in ministry now the entire time. We wanted to be part of this church. We moved up here. We believed God was calling us. And I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for a job. I kid you not. I walk in to a, it was one of those like FCC um, job fairs. Thank you. A job fair. And there's a biotech company there. And I go up and I start talking to them and they're like, they look at my resume and they look at, they're like, oh, you have this as undergrad? Oh, you worked in biotech before? We're looking to hire. They only brought in kind of like interns, like short time, and so you wouldn't get benefits and all these things. And they said, oh, because of your background and experience, we're just going to hire you directly and give you benefits right now. That was 10 years or more after I had done all this work, and I'm like, God, it was a waste. Why did I do all this stuff? Cause, oh, because I got something planned. I had something prepared for you. You had no idea at the time, but look what I have prepared for you. Now, we don't always see what God is doing. We don't always get God pulling back the curtain so I can look back and say, Oh, now I see. But God is at work orchestrating history right now on your behalf. Look at verse 4. God says, Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you and peoples in exchange for your life. Because you are. Because you are precious in my eyes. That's a statement of fact. This morning in Christ, do you realize that God looks at you and says, you are precious to me. This is right after he talked about you people that ran after all these false gods after you have dishonored me after you have put your trust in other kings. I was your king and you're like, nah, God, I'm good. I'd like an, an earthly king now. And he says, because I have redeemed you, purchased you, and I have chosen to put my love upon you, you are precious to me. Fear not. Love involves a choice and exclusivity, doesn't it? You know, Cassie and I, we, we dated and then we got married, and, and Cassie was not forced to marry. Um, some of you might have wondered if that was the case in order for me to be with a woman like this, but, but she was not forced. It was on her own decision, own choice. She made that choice out of love, and that choice created an exclusivity between the two of us. And that's exactly what your father has done. He has made a choice. And he has created this exclusive relationship between you and him that nothing will break it. And do you see it says to Israel, I will give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Isn't that what he did for us? He gave a man for us. He gave a person in exchange for our life. And that was Jesus Christ. And so God gently speaks to us today and says, fear not. Because of my son Jesus, listen to this, I am the Lord your God. The Holy One of you, your Savior. So when you walk through these trials and these hardships, don't be afraid. You're precious to me. I have purchased you. You belong to me. I have moved history to bring you back to me. You don't need to be afraid. And then he closes with this. Fear not, because he's with you and promises to bring you all the way home. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. Starting in verse 5, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you up. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. So here's the last command in this passage where he says, do not be afraid. And I'm going to tell you why. He says, because I'm with you. I'm with you. The living God, creator of heaven and earth, who spoke the world into existence just by his word. Who gave his son for you. Who calls you precious. And I know I keep repeating this, but I want you to hear this. You are precious. You are loved. You have been purchased through Jesus Christ. That's the one who's with you right now. In your greatest fear, he is with you. What's going to keep you from walking through that? Nothing. But you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. It just seems so overwhelming. Did you hear these promises, though? In verses 5 through 7, God says, even though my people are scattered. So some of this is now prophetic. It's going to happen. They're going to be scattered all over the place. And they're going to look and be like, oh, my goodness. God, I, I thought you were going to be with us through all these things. And now, look, we're all over. And he says, no you know what, there's a day coming when I'm going to speak it and I'm going to say, hey kids, it's time to come. And I'm going to call them all back. And I'm going to bring them back. He says, I will bring you safely all the way home. And he, he fulfills those promises. Is there something that makes you worried that you're not going to make it to the finish line? That you're like, I just don't see how I can make it. If life is going to continue like this, there's no way. I I struggle too much. I fail too much. The situation around me is too difficult. Do you hear the promise? The Father will bring you all the way home. Amen. Amen. And you know why you can have absolute confidence in that? Look back at verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name. He didn't say everybody who... Just chooses to follow and does a great job following. He says, everybody who I called before the foundation of time, who I created for my glory. You see, God is committed to his glory. And one of the purposes that he had for Israel is to show the world around them who God is and what he's like. Ray Ortland again, so good. This is what God has for us. Our destiny is to be a living advertisement of how good God is to people who deserve just the opposite. Don't think of God as playing a supporting role in a movie that features you and me as the big stars. His purpose is to bring the glory of his salvation down into our experience despite what we deserve so that he is admired and delighted. He puts his glory on display through you and me because we are his. And he wants people to look and say, wow. Wow. That group of people really doesn't deserve it. And you're like, yes, absolutely right. We don't. And it's because of our gracious Father. Look back at your fear. What did you write down? In light of who he is, when you remember who God is, when you remember the truths that we just saw, does that give you a flicker of hope? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that your fear suddenly this morning because we just read from God's word, oh, it's now gone. It's going to be a battle, it's going to be a struggle. But we're called to constantly remember these truths. We have to keep coming back to them. And it's as we do, we are going to experience peace. This side of heaven, we will continue to struggle with fear. But as the Spirit continues to open our eyes and remember these truths and promises that have been bought by Jesus, our fears will diminish, and the peace of Christ will guard our hearts and minds. Listen, if God dealt with your greatest need and your greatest fear through the cross of Jesus Christ, is he going to be faithful to you in these other things? Yes. Yes, he will. He's able to rescue us, and he will. Let's pray.